0: So you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said called Don't Store a Mouse in Your Mouth and Other Vital Rules. You might imagine that a special education facility for socio-emotionally disturbed students in Philadelphia would have lots of rules. You would be correct. The first thing you learn at new teacher orientation is how to successfully restrain a student without causing any harm to the child. It's a grip-don't-twist scenario, in case you're curious. Each classroom has a teacher and a full-time aide. Each classroom has no more than 10 students, for the safety of all involved. Students regularly lash out, flipping desks or tossing books or throwing punches at other teenagers, at therapists, at supervisors, at me, and all the rules help keep chaos to a minimum. There are protocols for everything. Protocols for when a student brings a razor blade to class, and protocols for when someone has a meltdown during lunch, and protocols for verbal lashing out. Every staff member knows the general outline for these rules, violence is bad, get it under control, and then issue a consequence. These rules are vital for the safety of everyone on the campus. And then there are the other rules. The classroom adjoining mine has a pet mouse. I don't know who approved the use of a live animal as a reward system for a group of often violent teenagers, but it's happened. The kids love the mouse. He's given potato chip crumbs and french fries saved from lunch and is often the recipient of copious amounts of love because humans have hurt these children deeply, but mice haven't. One kid, I'll call him John, I don't actually remember his name, is a squeezer, meaning he can't be trusted to simply hold the mouse or enjoy the mouse. He expresses his love by squeezing the mouse. He is soon banned from all mousehole contact for the safety of everyone involved. He predictably does not enjoy this turn of events and goes on a stealth mission to hold the mouse. He's foiled at every turn. There's always someone or two someones or three in the classroom. And then one morning, someone's back is turned and he does it. He's got the mouse. He's giving it all his squeezing love. He's in mouse holding heaven. And then John's teacher walks in. Oh, oh God, he's caught. He shoves the mouse in his mouth in an attempt to hide it. He shoves the mouse in his mouth to hide it. This does not go well. The classroom next door erupts into screaming chaotic laughter, and the teacher steps out for a moment to get her shit together because she cannot, as you know, as an adult, under any circumstances, laugh at the -the mouse-in-the-mouth situation. Of course she wants to laugh at the -the mouse-in-the-mouth situation. I'm still not sure how the mouse gets out of the mouth. Like, was it choked up or voluntarily surrendered? Did the mouse flee of its own accord and make a victory lap around the classroom? Or was it just spit into the open hands of the classroom aide who returned from the restroom in the nick of time? We will never know. Eventually, the mouse is returned to his cage, and a new rule is added to the classroom rule board. Don't store a mouse in your mouth. Life at the school moves on. And no other student finds out what the consequences and protocols are for mouse-in-your-mouth storage. Thank God. So I was telling this story to Bear over the weekend, and it got me thinking about other rules, the necessary kind, of which there are many, many, and the unnecessary kind, and how we often mistake the two. Like, no knives on your person in school, great rule. Don't store a mouse in your mouth, also great rule, but not really useful, mostly made up unlikely to be needed again. We as humans, as makers, as business owners, as evolving creatures operate under an enormous set of rules, laws of course, and also rules of our own making. So I want to take a minute to sift through the rules consciously because I'll bet there's some mouth and mouth rules that could use dumping. So um, this is an exercise that I'm totally iterating and messing with um, from, there's a magical class you can Google from uh, Brene Brown and Glennon and Doyle Melton about story. Um, and this is from that with my own take, but I want to give them credit because they're amazing. And that class is like 40 bucks, so go do it. Um, I want you to list the rules. What are the unspoken rules that govern your life? What are the rules you've absorbed without anyone ever having had to articulate them. Which beliefs have you made into rules? And what has society decided as a rule, even if you don't like it? When we look at the rules, we can get a better handle on which are still necessary, like absolutely urgent, and which are ready to be cleared away. For instance, here are two of mine from a much longer list, Um, those who can do, those who can't teach is that a rule or a belief or like it's in the gray area but it um it has this way of holding people down and back because teaching is this thing that I've been doing since I was fucking 4 years old with my teddy bears and teaching is now just one more commodity that you add to your entrepreneurial skill set to make more money versus something that is very much a calling and a part of you and something that takes a great deal of effort and articulation to do but society says those who can do those who can't teach If you ever just want to make me lose my shit, say that to me and I will go into like horrible shutdown mode. It's like a societal rule. Another one. It's not okay to want a happy, meaningful life. You have to want more money and a happy, meaningful life or you're wasting your talents. So this constant pursuit of more money and how if you don't just want to make more and more and more and more and more money you're somehow letting down your entrepreneurial self or your potential or your talents that's one of the the rules that are just sort of in the ether it's unspoken but it's it's in the fibers and it gets you it got into me rules are often couched in absolutes like it's not okay to blank or you should always blank. Um, like for being professional, you should always answer an email within 12 hours, or it's, it's not okay to treat some clients differently from other clients because they're all paying the same price, or you should never ever blank. If you're a female, it might be, you should never ever speak out, or you should never ever share an opinion, or you should never ever laugh loudly, or you should never ever leave the house without makeup. All those are possible. Um, Another way that it's often couched is blank will get you nowhere, or blanking will get you nowhere. So anger will get you nowhere, or flattery will get you nowhere, or any, any activity will get you nowhere. What have you decided, or what have you absorbed, which is probably a better term for it, that will get you nowhere? So I want you, on my mark, to set a timer for 10 minutes and to do this. This is not easy because it's trying to articulate things that are in the ether. They are not necessarily at the top of your mind. You don't have a list of these rules staring across from you while you do your work each day, but it's important to articulate them. It's slow, but it's vital. So I'm going to list the questions one more time, and then I'll give you the, just pause and give yourself 10 minutes to scribble or type or whatever you've got handy. What are the unspoken rules that govern your life? What are the rules, or if not rules, then like deep beliefs you've absorbed without anyone having ever had to articulate them? So no one's ever articulated them, or they've articulated them, but like as a society says, not as an individual level. Which beliefs have you made into rules? What has society decided as a rule, even if you don't like it? And again, we're not talking about the legalization of marijuana and the nuances there. We're talking about the much more subtle, the much more subtle practices and habits and the things that you absorb and that you make true and that you make a rule for yourself without it ever being close to becoming a law. That's what I'm interested in. So we're going to pause, set a timer for 10 minutes, and then come back. Pause now. Pause now. No, really, pause it. (laughs) So if you couldn't hear that, there's some stranger neighbor outside just saying, oh, fuck you. That was not me. That was not me or anyone I know. That was somebody at the brewery next door just being horribly upset. So the rules of the world, according to everything I've absorbed so far in life. This was done months ago, four or five months ago. And I saved them because I wanted... I don't know, I just save them, and now I'm sharing them with you as is, without eliminating any of them, even though some of them are embarrassing now, because this is what I absorbed. One, if it isn't practical, it's pretty much useless. Two, load the bases for everyone else. It is not fair to go out there and hit home runs all by yourself. Like, we have this very team-based society, where everyone talks about team and family and tribe and... Um, Unless you're out there just batting a 1,000 for everyone else, it's not okay. You, You must be part of a team. You must be part of a bigger group of humans of your own making, or you're just not doing it right. Three, the smarter you are, the more you have to work at making other people feel smart so you don't seem arrogant. So just like cell phone companies will throttle your internet access once you've reached your data usage, Um, there is an active part of me that tries to throttle my intelligence depending on who I'm talking to and whether or not I need them to feel smart or not. And that's something I work against all the time to be as smart as I am without trying to shame anyone or to be arrogant, but just to let myself be as smart as I am. That's actually really difficult. Four, poets don't make money. Poets can't make a living with their work, like period, full stop, the end. Everyone says that ever for all of time. Five, if you just follow the rules and sell all the right things, you can use your spare time to make the stuff that has no tangible, easy-to-see benefits and bullet points. In other words, there are these things I do and articulate and say and create, especially in a workshop-type environment where it's not as simple as your benefits are, that you've doubled your income, you've you've made an extra $10,000, and you've lost 43 pounds. It's often, I'm often dealing with the more subtle realms and articulating things that people can't quite see or helping people to articulate their own beliefs that change everything, but that don't have these really obvious results like your eye color changed or your feet got bigger, you know, like often the things that are the most vital are not easy to measure. And so we do a disservice to sales and to selling and to trying to articulate those things when we try and just boil it down to bullet points. Because most of life can't be put into bullet points. The good stuff, the like, I had the most amazing experience and here's what happened. Often the bullet points fall so far short of that. Next, it's okay to be yourself, but not if yourself means swearing or ruffling feathers or going against the grain, Mostly yourself should just be wearing vintage polyester tops if you want to, or maybe wearing some really racy earrings. (laughs) So maybe this is just a female thing. Maybe this is just a life thing that being yourself has to fit within these confines of like, you can wear silly shirts, but not all these other things about me. They're just me. Next, it's okay to write about whatever you'd like, but sharing what you write is a breach of confidence. If you're good at something, you should want to teach others to do it over and over and over again because that's how you build a following and make millions. So it isn't enough to teach it, and it isn't enough to be good at it. You have to teach it and be good at it and then just teach the same course over and over and over and over and over again because that's how you build a following and make millions. Working with small groups isn't scalable, so it's not a small business strategy. It's not a smart business strategy. You must find a way to make your work scalable or it's just not fucking worth it. Again, this is not my belief. This is me articulating one of the beliefs that lives in my ether that's actually very hard to articulate and that is in some part something I believe, something of a rule, but also a don't put that mouse in your mouth rule. It's not really helpful for me anymore. What's also interesting is where things beliefs are at odds here. So my peers will say, if it costs more, it's better. I have lots of peers that are prestige-triggered, and so if something costs more, it's better. Period. I come from a background of being it's just fucking dirt poor, and so if it costs more, it's a rip-off. Like, the sneakers at, at Walmart that cost $12 are fine. And if it costs more than that, it's a rip-off. So the rules can also be at odds with each other. These And they're part rule, part belief. It gets gray here, um, where peers are saying if you're charging 4,500, you should be charging 7,500. And my family is like, how do you get anyone to give you $4,500 ever for any reason? Because they could just figure that information out by like going to a shaman and church and, um, looking on the internet endlessly for days and then buying some books and getting a therapist and sort of cobbling together their own program. Right. Um, and those, ten- those are tensions. They're always at odds between the peers in my head and the family in my head and um, and then me finding a way through the middle of pricing that feels fair, that feels profitable, that doesn't feel like, and I just, uh, yeah, I just felt like charging that and fuck you, that also isn't, and then I made $4 at the end after I gave you my heart and soul. That's That's the water that I swim in. I'm not saying any of these things are true when most of them aren't. I'm telling you that those were the waters that I was swimming in when I first did the exercise. And some of those were kind of shocking to me. That those there's obvious contradiction there and that there's, there's belief that guides my subconscious or my barely conscious actions. And that most of those rules are garbage. They're unnecessary. They're mouse-in-the-mouth rules that have no purpose any longer. Like maybe at some point those kept me safe or maybe at some point those were true, but they aren't anymore. They're not useful. I'm not in danger of putting a mouse in my mouth for any of those. So I can let them go. You can let your rules go too. Here's how. One, is this absolutely true? So any rule that you hold up, is this absolutely true 100% of the time? Could I prove in a court of law that this is true? Two, is it necessary? So even if something's true, doesn't mean that it's necessary to your life or to where you are right now. And three, does it help you live a bigger life? Because if, if it's a rule that's true and necessary, but it also keeps you small or keeps you from growing, then it still has to go. So you only get to keep the rules that are true, that are necessary, and that help you to live a bigger life. And then from there, you form discipline and you form beautiful rules that help provide structure and protocols and a, and a wonderful, beautiful life, but that don't keep you caged and trapped in the name of building that beautiful life. If it's true, necessary, and helps you build a, li- build a bigger life, keep it. I write before I do anything else in my workday. That's 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 true for my work, that is necessary for my work, and it helps me live a bigger life because then writing doesn't get bumped to the eighth or ninth thing after I've given all my energy to everyone else. The rules that I shared with you are the ones I wrote down the first time I did this, and I preserved them so you could see the full range of what I let go, i.e., this is vulnerable shit, but it's worth diving into. It's worth getting into this gray, murky place between rules and beliefs and between the place where you are sure that you need something and you can let it go and what can you let go and how, and it's it's messy and human. So I wanted to give you just a couple of thoughts in a poem because life is messy and human. I don't have a neat bow for this one. So this is from the book All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. This is page 176. The English major in me dies hard. Um, For so long I have believed I could never catch up, but now I realize there's nothing to catch up to. There's only what I choose to make. There's still time, I think. I have so much time left. And that's true for you, for whatever it is that you're making or doing or wherever you think you are that's far, far behind where you quote-unquote should be. And the ways that those rules have held you back and kept you from being there. This is the grace at the end of that. For so long I have believed I could never catch up. But now I realize there's nothing to catch up to. There's only what I choose to make. There's still time, I think. I have so much time left. Mm. Go, Jamie Attenberg, go. And again, that's from the book All Grown Up. And finally, I want to end with a poem which is a goddamn miracle. This is from the book Today Means Amen from Sierra de Mulder, D-E-M-U-L-D-E-R, from page 41, and this is called Happy New Year. And can I tell you how happy it makes me to read you poems? If the entire existence of the earth, all 4.54 billion years, were condensed into just one year, accordion together like a head-on collision, humans would enter the party in the second half of the last minute of the last day, just in time to fall in love with a stranger and coax the ball to drop like a disco egg and spill out a fetal new year. By then, the dinosaurs would all be asleep, blackout drunk from their 30-minute binge. Imagine a world war that lasts a heartbeat, a century passed over like a page in a flip book, a baby conceived and buried as an old man in the same moment. You and I are not dinosaurs, and we are not buried yet. So think of your heartache, the one festering inside you at this very moment, the poisoned dough nuzzling itself against your throat. Picture your anxiety, your midnight panic, your fear, your perennial doubt. Each of these becomes not even a word in the book, barely a grain of sugar in the bowl. This is not a devaluing of your pain, but a dethroning, an adjustment of the microscope's lens. Look up. The fireworks have started. Kiss me. They will be gone so soon. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Sometimes poems are the only things we have that make sense of all of it. Again, that was Happy New Year in the book Today Means Amen by Sierra de Mulder. You can pick it up anywhere books are sold or uh, hop on the library train and get it because it's amazing. May you get rid of all the rules that involve mice in your mouth. (laughs) May you sort the vital rules from the ones that are no longer important and that no longer serve you. And may you find the wonderful and beautiful experience of being alive, even today, even in the mess and the murk. May you adore it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to get an extra episode of That's What She Said, head to kristenkelp.com slash community. There are two of them waiting for you, Joy is an Act of Resistance and How to Hermit Without Breaking Your Life. When you join the Order of the Phoenix, which is $8 a month, totally fucking worth it. Again, kristinkelp.com slash community. Head on over and join, and I will regale you with beautiful shit like this. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week, guys.